0: Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 247 3051 Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
1: Lord Jesus, we come to you. Lord, and we come to your word as we have so many times in the past and you have been so faithful to comfort, strengthen, and to encourage us. And so we look to you now for the same this morning as we open your word together in Jesus name. Amen. Genesis 27 verse 14. And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother and his mother made savory meat such as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. She put the skins of the kids of the goats upon his hands, upon the smooth of his neck, and she gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And he came unto his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, who art thou my son? Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit, and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast founded so quickly, my son? He said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. Jacob went near Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy, his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? He said, I am. And he said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. He brought it near to him. He did eat, and he brought wine, and he drank. His father Isaac said unto him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee. Let nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee and blessed be he that blesseth thee. It came to pass as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob. Jacob was scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac his father that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also had made savory meat and brought it unto his father and said unto his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. Isaac said unto him, Who art thou? He said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me? And I have eaten of all before thou camest and have blessed him, and yea, he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety, taking away thy blessing. He said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. Behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord and all his brethren that I have given to him for servants. Corn and wine have I sustained him. What shall I do now unto thee, my son? Now we've been studying this blessing uh, that Isaac, and here's a statement I want you to think about. Isaac intentionally gave the blessing to Esau. He unintentionally gave the blessing to Jacob. And those words, those words describe this chapter. This is a chapter of Isaac unintentionally blessing Jacob, intentionally blessing Esau, And it portrays just those words, the the intentional, the unintentional. It portrays this tension in this chapter. This chapter is just filled with a very tense family argument. You ever been in the middle of a family argument? (laughs) Well, between my mother and my father, between the legal and the common law marriages, I had the privilege of growing up through 10 marriages and divorces. So that makes me an unfortunate expert family arguments are hot. Family, if, you, if you've ever been in a family argument, then you know the best place for you is undercover. <laughs> and we keep your head down, because family arguments are fueled with hot emotions, and they do not come to resolutions where parties come to see things logically. That's not what happens. Just stay down, you know, occasionally poke your head up, And in this chapter, we're in the middle of a hot family argument. And emotions here are so hot that we just need to stay down. Because according to the U.S. Department of Justice, the latest report, one-fourth of all murders in the U.S. are between family members. Did you know that? And half of those murders are during an argument obviously, whenever they, when else they're going to kill each other. But anyway, so if the U.S. Department of Justice were, were in this chapter, they would arrest Esau, because he's vowed to murder Jacob in verse 41, where it says, the days of mourning of my father are at an end, then will I slay my brother Jacob. As a matter of fact, when it says that Esau hated Jacob in this verse, that's just one of the hatreds in this chapter. This chapter is filled with hatreds. I mean, Esau hates Jacob because he feels Jacob has stolen his birthright. Jacob hates Esau because he wants, he wants his birthright. And, and uh, Isaac hates Jacob because he loves his favorite son Esau and he knows that his wife Rebekah are pushing her favorite son Jacob to be promoted over Esau. And Rebekah hates Esau because Esau is being pushed in place of Jacob. And, and Esau hates God because he loves this life of fornication, which God hates, and we could go on and say God hates Esau. You can't even get them all straight. There's so much stuff going on here. So what we see in this family is just one hatred after another. And when we come now in verse 34, we read of an interesting description when when Esau finally realizes what's going on, and it's his cry that's described in verse 34. It says, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great an exceeding bitter cry. He said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. See, these words, exceeding great, exceeding bitter, or exceeding bitter. So, it, literally in Hebrew, very great, bitter. You know, these words are used, Gadol, which means great, and Meod, which means very or, or much, describe the bitterness. And so, this is a good description here of what we see in this family is that a very great bitterness, you know, a, a, a bitterness that's gadol, a bitterness that's maod, a, a, a terrible bitterness. And, and what we see in this family is just one bitterness after another. It's just overwhelming. And when we look at all this and we ask you the question, what happened to this family? What happened in this family? I mean, it started off with such a happy home. I mean, how did this family get into this state, this terrible state, of this rampant bitterness all over. I mean, everywhere you see a new bitterness. You know, there's one bitterness here, there's a bitterness there. And we even see a bitterness between Isaac and Rebekah and how Isaac refers to Rebekah in his blessing. You notice that in verse 29, we talked about it when he's giving the, in the process of what should be a happy time for him, he's giving the blessing to, he thinks Esau, but it's really Jacob. Anyway. And he says, Let people, in verse 29, let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren, and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. Curse if you ever want to curse the Thy mother's sons? Are we talking about the children that Isaac and Rebekah have together? And now all of a sudden he pushes on and says, They're my your mother's sons. You know, and so this is astounding to hear Isaac speak this way. I mean, you know, where we saw Isaac, I mean, Isaac, Isaac, lover boy, you know, how is it that you refer to your children now that you had with the love of your life? How is it you now look at them, you call these children your mother's sons? Well, Isaac, what happened to your love for Rebecca? Isaac, what happened to you since we first read about you and Rebecca in Genesis 24, 67, where we read, and Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her and was comforted after his mother's death. I mean, Isaac, lover boy, what happened between you and Rebekah? Isaac, how come you now call your children that you had with Rebekah thy mother's sons? I mean, what happened to you, Isaac? I mean, where is the Isaac that took Rebekah and loved Rebekah. I mean, where is the Isaac that was comforted by Rebekah? I mean, now you call your children with her thy mother's sons. What happened to you, Isaac? Isaac, what happened to you? What what, Isaac, what happened when you wanted so much to have children with this woman that you loved so much, more than any other on earth? And and it says in, in Genesis 25, 21, Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. All this emphasis on his wife, his wife. Isaac, what happened to you? Where is the, where is the Isaac that entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren? And Isaac, where is the Isaac that loved Rebekah so much that all he wanted was to have children with her so he could say, these are our children. And now you call them thy mother's sons? I mean, what happened to you, Isaac? What happened to the two lovebirds, that we saw in the chapter before, in verses 8 and 9, where it says it came to pass when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out at a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting, or yitzhaking, and was laughing. (laughs) Yitzhak was yitzhaking, you know, with Rebekah's wife. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, of a surety, she's thy wife. Isaac, where's the Isaac? The lover who had such joy to play with his wife that Abimelech said, no man laughs like that unless it's his wife that he, he's, he's madly in love with. And now you call your children with her, thy mother's sons? What happened here? The Isaac, we're the two lovebirds of Isaac and Rebecca that just lost themselves in a joyful love play with each other. I mean, what's with this mother, thy mother's sons talk? I mean, what happened to you, Isaac, to call your own children with this disdainful title of thy mother's sons? And then, then, you know, if you talk to Isaac, you know, because we're the marriage counselors now. So now we turn to Rebecca and we say, and you, Rebecca, what happened to the Rebecca who was happy to leave her family's home and counted an honor to be married to an Isaac? I mean, Rebecca, what happened to the Rebecca who, for love for Isaac, and not wanting him to be harmed in any way was willing to lie and say he was his sister, even though that endangered your own life. Where's that Rebecca? Rebecca, where's that Rebecca that loved her husband so much, but now is not calling Isaac my husband? In verse 6 of this chapter, Rebecca sent it to Jacob, her son, saying, "'Behold, I heard thy father.'" Speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, well, where were, why are we seeing a Rebecca that is orchestrating this deception against Isaac? So when we look at at all the love and the tenderness that was in this family and now it's turned to all this bitterness and hatred, we just stretch our head and say, what happened here? What took place? How did all this bitterness and hatred displace all the love and tenderness that used to be there to the point of in this family, was talking murder? What happened? Because what we're seeing in, in this family of a picture of love thrown out the window and the door swung wide open for bitterness and hatred, that's a recurring theme in, our, in, in families today. That's a recurring theme in homes today. 25% of all homicides today are between family members. And so we want to know what happened to Isaac, what happened to Rebekah, and how could it be prevented? You know, it starts off, and we see it. We see it starting off in the chapter 25, in verse 28, where you get this root, and you see the seed there of it all starting with just a simple statement. It doesn't, it says, oh, what does it say? Genesis 25, 28. It's very simple, just says, Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. Rebekah loved Jacob. Oh, right there, we see, you know, they see the roots right there, these words. Isaac loved Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. There it is, that's the root. That's the root that was allowed to grow. All of this bitterness, all of this hatred could have been prevented if Isaac and Rebekah just would have done what it says to do in Hebrews 12.15, where it says, looking diligently, lest any fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. That's a very important verse. That verse tells us that love has to be preserved, because there are threats to love. And so the Lord commands, look diligently. And we are to look diligently for any possible root of bitterness. And to see the importance of this in the context of the book of Hebrews. I mean, Hebrews is such an important book. And Hebrews is a book of warning. And Hebrews is a book of, this can destroy you, so I'm warning you. And Hebrews is a book of, of this is coming after you, so I'm, a- I'm telling you, be on your guard. And so this word, looking diligently, these words in Hebrews, is a verse here, they just flow in line. With other verses, we have like, give the more earnest heed, or take heed, or fear lest, or labor therefore, or show the same diligence, or hold fast, or cast not away, and and so forth. See, each one of those words in the book of Hebrews is telling us this can destroy us as believers. So each one of these words in the book of Hebrews is telling us what we have to be on the lookout for. As each one of these words in the book of Hebrews are telling us what we have to be on our guard against. And it starts off with things like this, Hebrews 2, 1 through 2. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. See, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. And it goes on to tell us what can destroy us. What we have to be on the lookout for is a passive spirit of just hearing the word of God and not putting into practice in our lives. See? When we've heard the word of God and not put them in practice in our life, that's what the book of Hebrews calls letting them slip letting them slip. And Hebrews says, you must give the more earnest heed. Hebrews 3.12, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. See, what will destroy us, what we have to be on the lookout for and be on our guard against is an evil heart of unbelief that will result in us departing from the living God. We have to take heed against the evil heart of unbelief of thinking, the Bible's not really true. There's not really a place called hell. And, and so I'm going to depart from God who talks about hell. You know, there's no hell and judgment for sin. And, 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 and I'm going I'm not, I'm not to depart from God, and I'm not going to go to him for salvation. I mean, God didn't really create the world. I mean, science says it evolved from nothing. So I'm departing from God as a creator. I don't have to give an account to him as my creator. See, that's called an evil heart of unbelief that will cause us to depart from the living God. And then so the book of Hebrews says, take heed. And then in Hebrews 4.1, it says, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. What is it that will destroy us? What is it that we have to be on the lookout for? What is it that we have to be on our guard against? It's coming short of the promise that was left to us of entering into his rest. What are we talking about here? That's speaking of the rest of trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ right now as our all in all is our total sufficiency in our life. Our total adequacy in our life is the Lord Jesus Christ. And to not enter right now into that rest is spoken of in Hebrew as to fall short, come short of it. And that will destroy us. That will destroy us. Not seeing Christ as our total adequacy will destroy us. And so we're called on to let us therefore fear, be afraid of this, of not seeing the Lord Jesus Christ as our everything we need. Fear. Fear. Lest a promise. What promise? Fear, it says. Lest a promise. Hebrews 4.11, labor therefore to enter into his rest. Hebrews 4.14, let us hold fast our profession. Let us therefore come boldly in Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 6.1, let us go on to perfection. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the profession. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another. Hebrews 12, 1, let us lay aside every weight. Hebrews 12, 28, let us have grace. Hebrews 3, 13, let us go forth, therefore, unto him. Hebrews 13, 15, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. Did you happen to notice each one of those statements starts off with, let us. This is the let us book. It's 13 times, let us do this, let's go. See, we've been told to look diligently, give the more earnest heed, and now we're told in Hebrews 4.11, let us therefore labor to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. See, what's gonna destroy us, what we have to be on our lookout for, what we have to be on our guard for is to fall into a state of not believing that I can really rest in Christ. And we have to labor to enter into that rest. I mean, you know, to, we have to labor not to worry about our future, but to trust Christ. We have to labor not to get uptight and anxious about what, what, what's going to happen tomorrow. See, that's not entering into his rest now. So, I mean, with the labor, it's like fighting. We have to fight to have peace? Like the man who came home and says, I'm going to have peace in my house if I have to fight for it. You know, <laughs> the Irishman. see we are constantly faced with obstacles of us resting in christ as our sufficiency and we have to fight to rest in christ we have to labor to enter into that rest of trusting in christ we have to fight to abandon our worries and our anxieties and our fears and just rest in christ we have to labor to enter into that rest of trusting in christ a war has to be fought before there is a peace we have to fight the war before we can know the peace of resting in Christ. Not fully trusting in Christ, not fully trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, for all we need is to let worries and cares destroy us. And, and therefore, this is, this is one of those that we have to be on our guard against, that we will destroy us, labor and turn to the rest. So we've been told we have to look diligently, we have to give the more earnest heed, we have to labor... And then it goes on in Hebrews 6, 11, it says, And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Show the same diligence, because that will destroy us. Here's something that's going to destroy us. Here's something that we have to be on the lookout for. Here's something we have to be on our guard for. What is it? To have the full assurance of hope unto the end. What is that talking about? The full assurance of going to heaven. The full assurance of being with the Lord Jesus in the Father's house in those mansions forever. We must not lose that full assurance of hope unto the end of our lives, which Ken Small did not lose this week. He kept that full assurance of hope unto the end. And we are called on to show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Paul, whoever was writing the book of Hebrews, was pointing to those who had been martyred, said, so Look at them, see them? They kept the full assurance of hope unto the end. Have the same diligence. We can say that today. Look at Ken Small. He had the full assurance of hope unto the end. God's calling us, have the same diligence. So we've been told look diligently, give the more earnest heed, labor, show the same diligence. Now in Hebrews 10 23, it said, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he's faithful that promised see here's the words hold fast because here's something again this is going to destroy us this is going to we got to be on our lookout for it got to be on the guard It's it's to not be confident about who the lord jesus christ is as god who became man and died for our sins therefore we're called on to keep hold of that hold on to that tight See, it's all these words that, you know, give the more earnest heed and labor and show the same diligence and hold fast. So this is the tone of the book of Hebrews and it's telling us that this has the potential to destroy us and therefore look out for this. Watch out, be on your guard. What we see in Isaac and Rebekah is a destruction of their love for each other because they didn't do one of these things that says here in Hebrews 12, 15, looking diligently Lest any man fail of the grace of God; lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. See, the root of bitterness seems so small at the time. What's so bad about this? It's just wait a Genesis twenty-five twenty-eight. I mean, Isaac loved Esau, and Rebecca loved Jacob. Wonderful! Looks nice. It's love. It's love. It's all love. What's wrong with love? What's wrong with this? So what? Isaac loves Esau, and Rebekah loves Jacob. It's not just a big deal, is it? It's the beginning of a root of bitterness. It was a division that was allowed as a root to be in the married lives of Isaac and Rebekah, and it became this root that kept growing. I got a tree in my house, backyard. It's a pine tree. But it started the pine tree. It was kind of a nice little tree. Now it's not such a little tree. It's about 40 feet tall, <laughs> It's lifting up the slabs of concrete all over. You know, we have the concrete grinder come out because we're tripping, and we got someone's going to break a bone. We, we have a slab now that's ready to fall in the pool. <laughs> <You know? laughs> These roots—they keep growing. Any root of bitterness—it's a division. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800 247 3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God. What are you doing this Thursday? Come to the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for our Thursday night Bible study and fellowship. This Thursday at 6.30pm we'll study aliens, UFOs and what the Bible says about them and answer the question, are we alone? And what does God's Word say about close encounters of the fourth kind? Join us at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Call us 619-599- 1104-619-599-1104 1104 619 1104 or creation sd.org creation sd.org